Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts. We're part of the Heroes Podcast Network. This is your weekly Trek podcast. Well, weekly. We did we did miss a week, but that was that was my fault. I was having some technical issues uh, with the internet. As always, I'm one of your regular hosts, Greg Bosco, and with me is the very very effective co-captain, Mr. Derek. Say hello, buddy. Hey, buddy. I'm glad to to have you back in the internet realms today. I, I I get very stressed out when my internet is not good, so I feel for you. Well, last week it was uh, trying to experience you know high speed hotel internet, and we know we know what that all means. Which is it's just a gimmick. There is no high speed hotel internet. That's right, <laughs> man. I remember I was um, I was in a Connecticut town for quite some time, and. They their internet was so bad at the hotel that they gave me for free to use while I was there for twelve weeks a Sprint mobile hotspot. See, you know, I used to have one of those Sprint hotspots a few years ago with all the unlimited data, but man, that thing was nice. I miss it. <laughs> I mean, it worked better than the hotel internet, so I I wasn't gonna complain too much. I guess. You know, I think America Online works better than hotel internet sometimes. Oof. Oof. <laughs> Not that I still have America Online. I'm just saying. Um, but but anyways, enough about the internet. But you know, we're we're back and we're going to continue talking, doing our uh, our preparation for Picard, as we call it, the prepping for Picard series. You know, mm-hmm. what we've been doing is on our podcast, we t- we discuss some of our favorite or maybe more important Picard centric episodes. You know, obviously specifically from Star Trek: Next Generation. And, you know, like, for example, a couple weeks ago, we talked about, you know, Yesterday's Enterprise, which is a hugely popular one. This week, we have uh, some very powerful episodes. But before we dive into it, Derek, did you see some of those images they released on uh, the animated series? Yes, I did. So those are for the so the December short tracks. Um, there's going to be two of them. And it's it's our first uh, officially released animated Star Trek since 1974. Which is amazing because there's so much you can do with animation. They could take all sorts of risks if they want to. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's just there's so many options. There's so many like f- there's so much flexibility in that. You know, it's just it's really exciting. And I'm really looking forward to seeing them. The um, we got a very, very short look at those. And um, 
I mean, it looks really nice, you know, but I'm just, I'm hoping that the content is really good too. Um, so the first episode's called Ephraim and Dot, and it's going to focus on a repair droid or a repair robot to be fair. I don't know if they can use the word droid, I guess, but we all know what it is. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and a tardigrade, a, a, a space tardigrade. And then the other episode is called the girl who made the stars. And that one's a little less clear. There's a, a young girl who appears to be on some type of planet. And that's about all I know about that. Well, and you know, something I've always believed, you know, being also a Star Wars fan is people have their comments on the prequels, people have their comments on the sequels, and I think realistically we can say the sequels and prequels both had challenges to them, but Star Wars The Clone Wars, the animated TV show, was like universally loved by Star Wars fans in general, so there's a lot you can do with an animated show, whether it's CGI animation or the more anime style animation, that you can still continue telling, like you said, the content. You can still tell good stories with relatable characters, interesting action. There's a lot you can do. So oh, yeah. take a chance on an animated show. Why not? I'm really looking forward to that stuff. And, of course, we, we have Lower Decks coming down the pipe and the, Nickel- and the currently unnamed Nickelodeon show coming down the pipe, too. So they're definitely going to try out some animated stuff, which is just it's, exci- it's exciting. Um, Star Wars Rebels has been doing really well, and Resistance ha- uh, has also been well-received, and then Clone Wars is coming back. So, you know, I'm all, I'm all for cartoons. Yeah, and you know, there was some fun news. I was there's a few other Trek people I follow on YouTube and Twitter. And I don't know if you saw CBS had released like the official essentially like canon timeline the other day on their website. Mm-hmm. But the version like for lack of a term version 1 that they put out had everything on it but Discovery, which led a bunch of the lore people on YouTube to be like, "Well, wait a second, does that mean it's a new timeline cuz you know, Kelvin's got its own thing too. So where the hell's Discovery?" And so a bunch of these people came out and were making comments on it. Like 12 hours later, a rushed version was put up on the website that included Discovery on the timeline. So it's just one of those, you know, you know, nobody, nobody has conspiracy theories quite like sci-fi fans when it comes to things like canon. (laughs) So, um, but it it was fun listening to some of their, their diatribes and their feedback back and forth. Cause obviously they're all Trek fans. They love you and I have talked about that. We love Trek. We love the canon story. So it, we're always going to be interested in it. I know. I just, I'm a, I'm a little burned out on the crowd that is trying to find any ex- excuse they can to discount the existence of Discovery as like an entire entity. Like it, it's one thing if you're not a fan of particular characters or particular story threads. I mean, the show is not perfect, but it is canon and it's canon because CBS gets to say so. And you don't have to like it, but it is canon, and it's not up to the fans to determine what canon is. So, um, yeah, when that came out, like, there's just all these videos and stuff, and, like, Discovery's not in the prime timeline. I'm like, this again? <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I, mean, I, <laughs> I agree with you. If you don't like the show, for whatever reason, just don't like the show. It's fine. Everybody's, what do you and I always say? You can love something and still criticize it. We both love marvel and dc movies but we criticize them when they do a bad job absolutely no but you know thor you know thor 2 the dark world which i barely even remember the name was pretty bad to me it was boring as hell iron man 3 was bad but nobody's gonna be like oh you hate marvel you hate iron man i'm like no i just thought iron man 3 was a bad movie 
but you're also not trying to claim that those movies didn't happen. This is this is true. I mean, this is this is exactly true, right? Like that's the big difference. Is there's still a collection of so-called Trekkies who just believe Discovery doesn't count, and you know, un- unfortunately or fortunately, it's not our call. That's up to CBS and Paramount. But uh, but yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I you know, like I said, I'll criticize anything, but I it's. Eventually, it's CBS's decision, and their feedback is Discovery's part of the timeline. So let's just stop talking about it. If you want to criticize the characters and the story, focus on that. Exactly. Let's not focus on, you know, the, the warp engines are purple, and it should be more of a blue-purple. I'm like, stop. Just focus, focus on the story. and That's what I always love when people talk about. Why does this tech look more modern than next generation, next generation to the future. I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe it could be have something to do with 30 years of technology behind us now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyways, let's get back, let's get back to talking about prepping for Picard, because this week we have some very good episodes, uh, including arguably Derek. Why don't you, why don't you start? Because last week, the last recording, I kind of took a little bit more ownership, but this sure. week we're starting with arguably one of the probably greatest two-parters in the history of Star Trek, I would say. Right. So um, out on heroespodcast.com, there's an article called Top 20 Quintessential Picard Episodes. And it's a list that I put together over the summer. And Greg and I are going through those episodes to talk about on the show. And we decided to, because the show's coming, the Picard series is coming out sooner than we anticipated, we are splitting these up kind of by season count. So as Greg mentioned last week, uh, we kind of covered season three episodes that we wanted to, to talk about on the list, except for part one of the best of both worlds. And that's because we pulled that into our season four discussion, which is today. So we have the best of both worlds, part one and two followed by family. And those three episodes are just back to back. And then we skip a bit to the end of the season for the drumhead. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's safe to say that the best of both worlds is certainly widely considered to be the best of TNG, um, there's lots of, of top lists and things like that. And actually in the nineties, there was a fan vote of the top five TNG episodes that Jonathan Frakes, uh, hosted on TV and one and two were these two episodes. And it's hard to really argue with that, but I do remember that in the nineties, it was, uh, they, back in the CB, the CBS, the TV specials they were doing, I think it was Jonathan Frakes was even kind of narrating a special, mm-hmm. uh, those were, those were some fun times, but it's the prep for Picard. I mean, these are two best of both worlds. Part one and two are essential Picard episodes. Absolutely. So with the best of both worlds, um, this is of course, uh, beginning at the very end of season three, it's the season three finale is the cliffhanger. And it's not our introduction to the Borg. We, we actually meet the Borg much earlier, but this is where Picard gets captured and becomes assimilated by the Borg. And it's really the first time we understand what, what assimilation is and what that means. Um, and obviously it comes a long way by the time Voyager's run is over, but this, these two episodes made it on my list because of Picard's assimilation and what that meant for his character throughout the rest of this show and the first contact film and I feel even more solidified in that after knowing what a big part the Borg will play in the TV series. No, absolutely. And not only does it play into First Contact, there's future Borg episodes that, you know, we'll, we'll eventually talk about some of them. 
that reference, you know, what Picard went through in Best of Both Worlds, and it really paints a lot of the view of what he looks at when it comes to interacting with not just, you know, not just the Borg, but other species. And even even one of the other episodes we're going to talk about here in a little bit, Family, is hugely connected to Best of Both Worlds. And it it, it really kind of, you know, people can complain about that Voyager kind of turned Borg into the villain of the week. And, you know, we both love Voyager, and I can kind of see where they're coming from with that criticism. But with Best of Both Worlds... You know, I remember when the Borg first encountered the Enterprise again, and they they want Picard, and even Riker's like, "What the hell do they want with you?" Mm-hmm. It it is very interesting because an argument can be made that this is really a Riker episode when it all is said and done. You know, because it's wrapped around this concept of Riker passing up co- commissions because he doesn't want to leave the enterprise and then Shelby comes in and she wants his job. And then Riker becomes the captain in part two. And so a lot of this focus is on Riker, but I think it also shows the type of person Picard is because of Riker's relationship with Picard and the crew's relationship that they don't want to give him up, that they're not wanting to simply move on and let it go. When they see Picard on the screen as Locutus and he introduces himself, it's a monumental moment for, of course, the audience, but also those characters. I mean, not only that, like the, when you talk about impacting other characters, even the uh, it bleeds right into the discussion that Guinan has with Riker when Riker has to, you know, take command after Picard is kidnapped, and Guinan's giving him good guidance. She's like, you can't. You know, fight the Borg and Picard. You got to Picard is gone. You are the captain now, and that's not easy for Guinan to say because we've already talked about the important relationship between Guinan and Picard at this point. And it even leads it, it, it the, the, the the direct discussion. Excuse me, goes back into how these are some of the episodes that when I see some modern day protagonists, whether it's video games or movies or shows, I can see some aspects that writers take from Star Trek, specifically Best of Both Worlds, where, you know, Picard gets kidnapped by the Borg, and the Borg, you know, resistance is blah, 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 resistance is futile, you know, and Picard just says, you know, doesn't matter, we will fight you. And it's, that's, (laughs) some of those quotes are directly lifted into, like, the Mass Effect series, because I just replayed those games again. And (laughs) when... Commander Shepard's fighting the Reapers. There's some Picard quotes that he's using in there that are basically from when he was fighting the Borg. And I'm, it's just these are quintessential episodes, and the stories are still so relevant thirty years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, like you know, these episodes resonate a lot because they they went back to them, right? Like you know, later with I Borg and Hugh and First Contact, we learn what this really meant to to Picard and of, of course family, but we're going to get to that on this, on this episode. But the idea that this assimilation, while it's temporary and due to the episodic nature of nineties television, an argument could be made that um, it, that's kind of glossed over and moved on very quickly. This still sticks with him. This changes who he is. This takes a man who, and you know what, frankly, I guess, Really, it's it's hard to talk about these separately, but his brother and family outlines it perfectly because it takes a man who is controlled, who's measured, who is 
maybe even emotionally withdrawn, you know, um, and, and just strips him of all of that, takes that all away and forces him to, to do things he doesn't want to do to make him lose control. Well, and I think it, it plays on a certain fear that I think everybody has is losing our humanity. And there's a very subtle camera trick that they do where after Picard's being assimilated and they're changing like a skin pigmentation, you can see like a single, like a tear, like tears welling up in his eyes. It's, it's the last vestiges of his humanity still trying to show themselves. Right, right. That's supposed to represent that he never stopped fighting, even if he couldn't, even if he couldn't push through, if he, even if he couldn't do it. Um, and that even in itself becomes a massive factor in family, which is the following episode, because so, you know, in, in that one, he goes back home, uh, to the, the Picard vineyard in France and he and his brother basically get into a fist fight out in the vineyard. Right. And once the fight is over and they're covered in mud and everything, Picard, Jean-Luc breaks down and, you know, he talks about how, they took everything from him and they used him to, to, to murder people. And he blames himself for not being strong enough that he wasn't, you know, he says he wasn't good enough. He wasn't able to stop them and he should have. And it's the first time seemingly his brother, but also us see Picard as a truly human flawed individual who isn't perfect. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And there's even additional callbacks in Emissary, the opening opening two episodes of DS9, when Cisco is interacting with Picard. And, you know, he's like, oh, it's interesting to see you again, Captain, or whatever. Picard's like, have we met? Yes, I was first officer on the USS Saratoga at Wolf 359. And you can just see Picard, like, slowly put his little teacup down. And even in the 30-second image on DS9, you can still see the pain he feels years later on what happened. Because Wolf 359, up until this point, is basically the the most catastrophic defeat we've seen of Starfleet on the TV shows. You know, 39 out of 40 ships destroyed. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it goes back to the blame that he puts on himself. I mean, of course, other people like Cisco blame him, too. Um, but he does blame himself, which is an important factor. And one of the knocks that TNG gets from people is that it is kind of sanitary and the characters are all seemingly perfect all the time. And this is one of the times where they're not, where Picard is shown as being just like everybody else, that he wasn't so amazing that he could overcome this. You know, we saw how vicious the Borg were in q and which for some reason I still have a tough t- like tough time verbally saying that title, Q who, uh, but we're supposed to see how vicious and unrelenting the Borg are, and this episode I mean truly proves it. You know, even when they're hiding in the nebula and Picard's like, oh, we got a few hours, and the Borg immediately figure like not immediately, but they figure out a way to get the Enterprise to leave the nebula, and it's showing, it harkens back to what Guinan was telling Picard in the Q who episode about you know they'll never stop. You know, it's now that they know you're here and in their studying of the Federation, they realize that, hey, this is the flagship of the Federation. We consider you the most powerful ship in their fleet for whether it's true or not. But we know who you are and we've encountered you before. And, you know, we're going to take you. 
And they again, like I said a few minutes ago, we both said a few minutes ago, it plays on that natural that fear I think everybody has of losing our humanity and then having our lost humanity result in the de- the death of of what, twenty thousand Starfleet officers were killed at Wolf three five nine? Something like that, yeah. I mean, to put that in perspective at Pearl Harbor for everybody, you know, there was like 2,300 dead and 2,500 wounded. And so at Wolf 359, there's 20,000 killed in basically, you know, an hour or two hours or whatever of combat. It's Picard carries those scars the rest of the series. I mean, the rest of his life, seemingly. You know, I don't think it's something that you ever can really get over. And even though the people that, that understand the situation know it wasn't his fault... I'm not sure how much that helps. And that's kind of what the episode family is meant to do. It shows that it, it it's not enough that it wasn't his fault. He, you know, he still feels like he still feels responsible and feels like he should have been able to do something. Even when his brother understands that, that that just isn't the case. You know, he says that Jean-Luc's been an awfully hard on himself and that this is going to be with him for a long time. And he's right. You know, uh, Robert's uh, Robert's right. Robert is right. Um, and uh, it, it's the fact that the crew has to get past it as well. The crew has to accept that these things happened and Starfleet does. I mean, it's not like he's stripped of his commission or transferred to a less high profile ship. He gets to stay captain of the Enterprise. And I think that's simply because of the respect people have for him prior to these events. Yeah, and the other important thing about these episodes are, you know, even even in Deep Space Nine, when you meet the Defiant, you meet the Defiant, the ship, you're introduced to the ship, the Defiant. You know, Cisco even admits, he's like, this ship was built for one reason, to, to stop, to defeat and stop the Borg. And it references constantly Best of Both Worlds, not just Q-Who, and these episodes lead to a whole development of Starfleet, like the first Starfleet combat ships, like, you know, the Akira-class battlecruiser and their steamrunner-class frigate and the Defiant-class assault frigate. All these ships that you and I have talked about before that Starfleet never really built warships. Mm-hmm. And now one of the results of Picard being kidnapped and the Borg using his technical knowledge, not just their technology, but Picard's knowledge of Starfleet to defeat an entire fleet of 40 ships eventually leads to Starfleet building its first combat fleet in... You know, potentially since the first 12 Constitution-class heavy cruisers, basically, Starfleet's building a war fleet now to defend themselves. Well, what's kind of interesting there is Shelby's the one who ends up leading that effort when these episodes are over, when Riker decides to stay and stay as first officer. She doesn't stay in the Enterprise. She goes on, you know, what's that comment she even makes So that's where she actually goes to head up. I mean, she's directly responsible for the creation of the Defiant. Yeah, and she even says at the end of Best of Both Worlds Part 2 that, oh, the fleet, you know, will be back up and running in less than a year, but that's like Part 1. <laughs> they, they're, they've got a big 10, 12-year plan of warships they're building, which is, you know, then you see a lot of those ships in First Contact as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so there's not a whole lot to dig into on Best of Both Worlds. It's been talked to to death. Most people have seen it, even not if you're not you know, really a big Star Trek fan, you've probably heard of these episodes. Um, One thing I want to throw out is, uh, have you ever seen the, like the theatrical cut together version of this that they released on Blu-ray where it's not two parts? 
I thought so, but refresh my memory just in case. So I like to point this out because it was kind of surprising to me. So this the, the first part of Best of Both Worlds ends on that cliffhanger moment. Locutus is on the screen. The, the Enterprise has rigged the deflector dish. And Riker just says, fire. And then it cuts to the really dramatic music that everybody's parodied over the years. You know, and that was it. And like everybody had to wait three months to find out what happened. Well... If you watch the theatrically cut version of this, which I actually went to the theater to go see when they were doing the initial Blu-ray release, it doesn't have that pause. It doesn't have that cut. And so it just goes straight from fire into the next scene that was the first opening of part two. And it just loses all of its dramatic intensity for me. It was kind of interesting. Yeah, I can see what you mean by that, but... Uh, one thing I do want to laugh at with Best of Both Worlds before we start talking about family and then the drumhead is uh, one of my good buddies Brent and I were joking about this last night actually when we were playing a Stellaris online uh, when they're talking about how the Borg cubes entered Sector 001 and they breached the Mars defense perimeter and it's like three little shuttles and the whole yeah. time I'm like <laughs> I'm like what the hell kind of defense perimeter is that and I'm like good, I'm like good God the International Space Station would probably do better than those three things. It's so funny. Like, you know, it's it's that joke in Star Trek. Like, we're the only ship in the in the area, you know. Um, and it is kind of hilarious, but, you know, it, I guess it is what it is. Um, so, of course, you know, the episode ends with Picard being rescued from the Borg. He helps. He comes up with the sleep protocol that Data inputs and all of that. And um, things, you know, more or less go back to normal for people. Uh, Picard then in family goes home. Um, and this is a very important episode family because first off, aside from it being a direct sequel to the best of both worlds, which was a rarity in this time frame. I mean, keep in mind that, um, family came out in 1990. Okay. That episode aired in uh let's see here october 1st 1990 all right so this is a long time ago this is not the way television is today so that was a big deal but we get to see picard out of the future element right he there's not there's no starships there's no transporters um he is home he's walking down a dirt road he's in a vineyard that's were uh, staffed by people um, the house is essentially unchanged. There's very little technology involved in it. And his brother almost uh, rejects that technology. And so you get to meet uh, his nephew, uh, Renee. And this is a very important episode for the Generations film. Because in Generations... At the very beginning, when they're on the the boat and Worf gets promoted and everything, Picard gets the bad news that his family, uh, there was a fire and um, Renee died in the fire. And so family is where the only time you really get to know this kid other than the Nexus version of him in Generations. And it's very sad to, you know, watching it now, knowing this kid only has like three, four years left before he's going to die. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's a huge emotional punch to Picard in that whole movie. And you see him have a true, again, a breakdown in front of, uh, in front of Troy in the, in the movie. 
which is again something we typically don't see in you know the the episode family and I always I always liked it because you know the, you have to you're dealing with uh, Worf's adoptive parents are visiting and Wesley Crusher sees that hollow image of his dad mm-hmm. but this is and even rewatching this episode and doing more research on it I know it was one of the lowest rated episodes of the season even though critically and story wise and fan wise it's considered with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no no nothing like that it's just these cash prizes add up quick so i suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. One of the most important ones, which is tend to how tend to how it goes, because, you know, you, you go from the combat effective high of Best of Both Worlds to this, which is essentially an episode about Picard kind of dealing with PTSD. And it's a big culture shock. And also want to emphasize that this episode was written by Ronald D. Moore, who's a big Star Trek alum. Mm-hmm. who went on to do the reimagined Battlestar. So that's always kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think you make some interesting points. I mean, this episode is certainly slowing down things, right? You come off of one of the most epic TV events Star Trek has ever done, and then you go, like, literally down to Earth, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I, I get that to an extent, but it's so important for the Picard character to flesh out where he came from, who he, who his background is filled with right who who his family truly are and it was so surprising to me you know when i first saw this about how different it was you know like it's untouched by hundreds of years of change i mean it would almost be considered an outdated it's an outdated home by today's standards um and is it, it kind of shows why he doesn't have much of a relationship with his family because his brother and him Maybe they respect each other, but they do not like each other. Yeah, and it, it's again, it just goes to show you, and the slowing down part, I think, is what some people complained about when yet when it first came out. But the older people get, the more they respect and enjoy the episode, and it's something you and I have criticized a bit of DS Nine and Discovery with is constant action is sometimes good for on screen visuals. But constant action itself isn't always the best way to tell a story. It, I mean, good point, or good, a good example is, remember the opening scene of Revenge of the Sith when there's, you know, 5,000 <laughs> ships on screen fighting the hell out of each other? Mm-hmm. It, looks, it looks cool, but then when you stop to think about it, you're like, you have no idea who's doing what or why they're doing it or what's happening. Aside well, from the fact, you're like, it looks cool. It's part of why I always think Star Trek just does better on the small screen when they have... 20 hours to tell their story instead of two and a half right because star trek isn't supposed to necessarily be about the world ending event it's supposed to be about the characters supposed to be about morals ethics uh those allegories and not massive explosions all the time now those things will happen and some of our movies came up with great concepts but you know, Insurrection was always uh, criticized because it felt like an episode. And that was supposed to be like an insult or something like that, that it was just too much like the show. I'm like, you know it's from a show, right? <laughs> yeah, versus Nemesis, which is basically an hour-long space fight 
which is almost universally derided by fans for being an hour-long scene of combat. And family is the exact opposite. It's smaller, it's more intimate. Uh, you see true impacts of PTSD and Picard. You see his relationship with his brother. I, I gotta steal your comment. They love each other and they respect each other, even if they don't necessarily like each other. And again, I say this every episode, but you've known this about me for years. I love it on TV shows when characters feel real and natural and their relationship feels real and natural. His brother, Robert, can say things to him that nobody else can say. Well, you know what, John Luke, what happened was terrible, but you need to learn to live with it. Well, because no one talks to John Luke like an equal. Right, You have admirals who talk down to him and give him orders, and then you have his crew that look up to him and idolize him. You know, He's won a million awards, and he's the captain of the flagship, and the moment he's down on Earth, he's got people vying to get him to leave Starfleet to, uh, to run these other organizations. But his brother, his brother will tell him exactly how he feels, even if he's a little cruel about it. He will, do, he, he will bring Jean-Luc down to Earth, and... You're not really supposed to like Robert early on, but after they have the fight, which is really the only action in the entire episode, um, you can see them, how they relate to each other, how they bond with each other. The fact that, I mean, Picard crying, other than Sarek, where he's overwhelmed by Vulcan emotion, this is the the first time you really see him cry. And... We don't really see it again until generations when his nephew dies. Um, and I'm not sure that we see it after that. Uh, you know, and so it's a very big moment. And for him to cry out in the open in front of his brother shows you how damaged this situation made him, how hard it was for him, how traumatized he really is, how terrible it was. Yeah. And it's that exactly like you said, it's, it's only being around his brother who maybe they don't have the the the, uh, the best relationship, but it's around his brother where he can, he can let himself have that breakdown that he needed to have. I mean, he needed to have and feel those emotions so he could start on his path to recovery. And his bro- like his brother even says, he's like, you have to learn to live with what's happened, even if you couldn't control it. And that's something, you know, Riker probably didn't say, Guinan maybe would say it, but Riker's not going to say that. And it has to come from a loved one, and that's why this episode is, you know, sometimes the smaller-scale episodes are hugely important. It's, you know, as, as beautiful as Discovery is, for example. Remember the, the the season two finale when you and I were like, where the hell did they get, like, these 600 shuttlecrafts from? You're like, it's, it's so much stuff is happening, and sometimes the smaller stories, like Family, that are character-specific, are some of the most important for any TV show. And... You know, I completely agree with you. And this episode does so much. I mean, it it, even, it does similar things for Worf and for Wesley too. But you know, that's for another time. But here, it's just so important for Picard, and we get the the, the positivity of the way the episode ends with him and his brother uh, drinking Chateau Picard wine together, covered in mud, singing songs, and it's nice to see Jean Luc be happy. We don't get to see him happy very often. I mean, you know, he's kind of happy in Captain's Holiday, right? Which we talked about in our last episode. Um, but he's so rarely happy. He's usually very somber and very stoic. And this episode shows a, a wide range of emotion for him, which, of course, is 
you know, some standout acting by Patrick Stewart, but the story really lets him utilize that. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, all right. Well, is there anything else about any of these first three episodes in the Borg arc that you think we should discuss or cover? I mean, there's plenty. You and I could probably do an hour-long episode of Best of Both Worlds Part 1 alone if we wanted. Right, yeah. I'm, I'm super excited to talk about the next episode, though. The Drumhead. So, The Drumhead is Season 4, Episode 21, towards the end of the season. Um, this episode, I think, really harkens back to Measure of a Man. Um, which is also on our list. We talked about this one back on episode 78. It was our only season two episode uh, to make the list, by the way. Um, where do you want to start on this one? Because I feel like there's there's a lot of ground to cover. There is a lot of ground to cover. Uh, I do want to comment that this episode was directed by Jonathan Frakes. Yes, good, nice. That's a good note. I did not uh, mark that down, but that's that's awesome. But the, the episode itself is just amazing. And the, old, the the opening comment for me is I love that even doing a quick YouTube research on this episode after watching it again, it's arguably one of the most talked about Star Trek episodes on YouTube, it looks like. I mean, you got, you got everything from fan sites talking about it to, you know, there's a YouTube channel like a real lawyer watches Star Trek The Next Generation, The Drumhead. I'm like, this episode is just everywhere. It's it's a very powerful episode. So we're in Measure of a Man, we're watching someone who's a pompous jerk try and insult Data, who's our favorite character. Here we have an, an admiral who has Picard's respect and to some extent his admiration and a young, quiet, nervous officer that we don't actually know. We don't really know Simon Tarsus at all. And we have Admiral Satie, who just kind of comes in to work out this conspiracy um, that's that's aboard the ship. It's um, it's a hard episode for me to watch at this point, just because of how off the rails the hearings get. Um, the the Beta Zed who um, D- uh, D- uh, Jadon, he is so. Or no, I'm sorry. Is it uh, Saban? Sorry, I wrote them down wrong. Saban. Uh, say he's so kind of. He's also very full of himself, very sure of himself, and a little condescending when he speaks as well. And just the way he questions people, it's it's very much everyone's guilty until he's convinced otherwise. Yeah, and that's and another reason why this episode really hits me is that's kind of very similar to what happens in real life sometimes is you get people in powerful positions that they abuse it and they know they abuse it and they don't care. And that's kind of what you get from Admiral Satie and you kind of, and you get from Saban is it's like, they almost know they're being overzealous, but they don't care. They think it's right. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, this, this episode gives Patrick Stewart, some, some really great speeches, some great monologues. Um, so the episode really at its core is about, there's some profiling involved and some racism involved with the, the Romulan slant, but it's also this idea of making an example out of somebody simply to put people 
on edge and give some give people something to fear rather than knowing that you got the raw that you got the criminal that you got the person who did something wrong it's to make sure that everyone else is afraid that they could be the next one to be on that seat and that is incredibly powerful yeah i mean even even when you boil the episode down to its basic you know basic components Simon Tarsus, this is all about the fact that he's one quarter Romulan. And, you know, he lied and said he was one quarter Vulcan instead. But that's what this is all about. He hasn't actually done anything. They just found out that he's one quarter Romulan into the Admiral Sabin, a few other people on the ship that's already made him guilty. Even, you know, there's even good, there's amazing interactions in the episode between Worf and Picard about this. Well, because everyone is so quick to condemn Tarsus because of that Romulan heritage and because he lied about that Romulan heritage. And so we have this young guy who he's an ensign, he's a medical assistant and the only connection he has with Dijon, the the Klingon is giving him his injections along with other people who do it depending on the day. And we, we begin with Worf wanting of course to, to, he doesn't like Romulans. He's never trusted Romulans because of, of what happened with his parents and his family and within the empire. And Picard wants to believe Admiral Sati because he so uh, respected her father. You know, um, he, he, um, he just kind of idolized her, her father from a moral and ethical standpoint, the things that he taught the way he saw right and wrong. Cause he was a judge Right, and so this idea that his daughter is investigating, he just assumes that she's going to have the same integrity that he did. Yeah, exactly. And something, you know, for being an episode from the '90s, there's the quote from Worf to Picard that's always that still rings with me today. You know, sir, the Federation does have enemies. We must seek them out. And that's when Picard says, you know, oh, yes, that's how it starts. I mean, you could say the exact same thing today as we record this episode in 2019 of somebody accusing somebody of being an enemy or something. I mean, it's it, it's so it's so freaky in a way. Well, Worf even has that like put this back and forth with Picard about how you know he refused to answer the question about his Roman grandfather. And Picard goes, that is not a crime, Worf, nor can we infer his guilt because he didn't respond. And it... Man, that just lands so close to home today in today's world where, you know, people lie for lots of reasons. And just because they did something wrong doesn't mean they've done everything wrong, right? Just because, you know, just because Tarsus lied on his admission to the Federation because of his Roman heritage, that doesn't mean that he wanted to to sabotage the Federation's flagship, and drawing those connections are just incredibly circumstantial. But Worf is so hell-bent on, on revenge against Romulans and clearing his family's name and things of that nature, at this, especially at this point in the story after his uh, discommodation, um, dis- discommodation, that he, he blinds himself. He buys into it because he wants to prove that he is a loyal Starfleet officer. And Picard again, you know, it's it's maybe it's a little tropey, but Picard ends up in the seat to push back on the establishment, to push back on what we feel is 
is the appropriate thing to do. That just because someone did a thing wrong doesn't mean they did this thing wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think you are absolutely correct. It's, you know, just like you, I can't even say it even better, just like you commented, you know, that's that's not a crime, Worf. You know, he, he hid his Romulan heritage. I'm like, so be it. Like, it's this, and this also harkens back to the season three episode Offspring when Picard is fighting, you know, the, the another Federation admiral who wants Data to turn over his child. And this is similar in a sense where Picard is fighting a system that's basically already condemned somebody. And Picard knows that, like, they condemned this kid. His Starfleet career is over. And the life he's been trying to build, you know, the kid, like even Simon Tarsi says, he's like, I can, for as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a Starfleet officer. And he's scared of his, of his Romulan heritage being discovered because he's worried about exactly what happens is they start judging him for it. And that's that's the thing, right? Like that's where everything truly falls apart. Is Picard? Picard brings Tarsus in to have they have some tea together, right? And you're you know he just Tarsus just is this young, inexperienced person, and yeah, his career is over. This is it. This is the end of it, and it's all for nothing. You know, um, Picard has this big speech to Satie, uh, you know, where he's you know, he says, "I'm deeply concerned about what is happening here. It began when we apprehended a spy." A man who admitted his guilt and who will answer for his crime. But the hunt didn't end there. Another man, Mr. Simon Tarsus, was brought to trial. And it was a trial, no matter what others may choose to call it. You know, and that's what, you know, it just unravels. Like, why is there a conspiracy? Because Satie just has a gut feeling there's a conspiracy? She has a hunch that there's a conspiracy? You know, it's it's incredible to me that, again... Data and Jordy are able to figure out what actually happened here when the actual investigators, the ones who are doing these open hearings and putting people on trial and giant spotlights just to, you know, let the roaches, you know, scatter, um, they can't figure out what's going on because they're just so amped up by the the excitement and the hyperbole of the just the show. That's what it is. It was just a circus. Well, and we we see remnants of the of this whole episode even in DS Nine when there's the very when there's the good quote from Picard to Worf about you know Worf villains who twirl their mustaches are easy to find you know those who clothe themselves in good deeds are well camouflaged and I don't want to spoil anything about DS Nine because we're going to get there but you have a Starfleet admiral that basically tries to abuse the threat of the Dominion to take over more power within the Federation. And he's saying it, he's doing it for a good reason. And that's very, that harkens back a lot to what happens in this episode where we're here to capture traitors and a threat to the Federation. So Simon Tarsis must, must go, even though they have no, no evidence that he's done anything wrong. It's saying, well, we're doing this for a good reason. So just, just go ahead and listen to me, Picard. We'll take care of it from here. And again, this this shows who Picard is. It's another opportunity to showcase his moral backbone, his ethics, what he's willing to fight for, what he's willing to risk, because he's risking his career by going against her. You know, Admiral Satya, aside from being an admiral, I mean, I guess she is retired, but still, she has such clout and people trust her so much that her word at the beginning of this episode certainly does carry more weight. But it all totally unravels because... Picard, in his measured way, 
quotes her own father against her. With the first link, the chain is forged, the first speech censored, the first thought forbidden, the first freedom denied, chains us all irrevocably. And she just loses it. And you can see that the paranoia and the suspicion has just driven her just mad, mad with distrust and a drive to, I don't even know what her end goal is at this point. She would have arrested the entire crew. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't going to end with just Picard or Simon Tarsis. It was going to keep going on and on and on. And, you know, it's just another example of how Star Trek, even this episode alone, and I know I always, what I always do is, you know me, I always reference Star Trek and other shows. There's a great episode of the reimagined Battlestar Galactica that basically follows this same plot. And I, that touched that I remember it because Ronald D. Moore was the main producer creator of the new Battlestar who was involved with Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And one of the episodes of Battlestar is basically, you know, a, a rogue master sergeant accusing people on the ship of doing of betraying this, of lying about this, of doing this. And Admiral Adama, Commander Adama, gives a speech that harkens back basically to Picard. It's not word for word, but the overall plot and the inspiration and the commentary, you can tell where they got the inspiration. And yeah, I know it's happened in other movies and other episodes, but when you have the creator, we have Ronald D. Moore from Next Generation creating Battlestar, you know where he got the influence from. And it's that that example of who Picard is as a human and as a leader, not as a captain. You know, captain is just his rank. But as a leader, he's looking out for his crew. He's looking out for the people that truly can't defend themselves. Simon Tarsis, if he was alone, he's done. He's over with. But Picard lives up to his mantra when he says, you know, he looks after the people on his ship. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And, I mean, I I, I think kind of the influence of this is really like the Salem witch trials, right? When someone says something is a witch hunt, this is actually what they're talking about, you know, where they want to find people guilty of something because they want to find people guilty of something and not because somebody is guilty of something. Yeah. It's very, it's almost the same thing as the McCarthy red scare in the fifties, Mm-hmm. where, yep. you know, everybody's a communist. People in Hollywood are communists. You know, they accused Robert Oppenheimer of being a communist, even though he helped create the atomic bomb in the Manhattan Project. They accused him of being a communist. I mean, it's... And that's something that the episode really touches on, and that's what Simon Tarsis is worried about, is the moment they label him as something, he's worried he'll never be able to to live it down. Yep. And, you know, Picard does explain in the episode what a drumhead trial is, um, you know, and it's it's this idea of just <laughs> of walking people up in front of a crowd, demanding that they did something wrong, having no evidence required of it, and then swift judgment that usually ended in execution, which in this case probably wouldn't have been execution, but a life sentence. He would have been, you know, Tarsus was just going to be thrown in a brig for the rest of his life because of a hunch. And Picard's just not going to stand by and let that happen. And he uses everything that he can to protect his officer and the integrity of Starfleet law. It's another one of those episodes that is just a hallmark Star Trek episode and a highlight of Picard and of Patrick Stewart. I mean, every every one of the actors and actresses in this episode nailed it. You know, Michael Dorn is Worf. You can see the heartbreak he has at the end when he realizes that he was in the wrong 
uh, you know, Riker trying to defend Simon Tarsis, and obviously Picard just, again, referencing that he is truly a captain of his crew and a leader of his people, and it's, like I said, you search it on YouTube, it is definitely one of the most heavily discussed Star Trek episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, well, is there anything else that you would like to cover? No, just that if uh, if you stuck with us this whole episode and you haven't seen these three episodes, uh, four episodes technically, you should be go watch them and then listen to us again. <laughs> but these are again, we're going to continue our prepping for Picard series as we as we get ready to move into season five. It's but no, these are um, some fantastic Star Trek episodes. I I think they're highlights of like you and I have talked about seasons three, four, and five are probably some of the best Star Trek television out there from next generation of all the shows. So looking forward to talking more Picard. So, so here's the plan for anybody who's, who's listening. So um, if you didn't notice, there's actually a bonus episode that was released today. Ray and I also reviewed the short treks episode, ask not, which is the Pike episode that came out recently. So you get a double header this week. So enjoy that. I hope. Um, And then when we come back next week, um, we are beginning season five of prepping for Picard. So this will be split into two parts, uh, episodes 82 and 83. Episode 82 of our show will include Greg and I discussing uh, the season five episodes Darmok, which is a personal favorite of mine, and uh, the two-parter Unification, which is the, uh, the Spock Romulan episode and then when we come back for part two in episode 83 of our show we will be discussing the inner light another personal favorite of mine as well as the end of season five beginning of season six the two-parter times arrow i'm looking forward to it yes me too should be should be a good time and um you know that our schedule's a little tight so that's followed by our episodes for season six and then the December short treks before we take a week off for uh, for the holidays. So um, we have a lot to cover, a lot of ground to cover before Picard premieres at the end of January. Yeah, it's uh, definitely looking forward to it, though. So oh, we yeah. got plenty of contact coming out, people. Make sure you stick around. Absolutely. And uh, if you want to hear see the full list of episodes, please go to heroespodcast.com. Look up the 20... Uh, the top 20 quintessential Picard episodes. You can see the list. I'll put it in the show notes and uh, you can follow along with us. Derek, how can people find you online if they wanted to talk with you? Please come talk to me. I am the Star Trek dude on Twitter and Facebook, and you can talk to Greg and I and a bunch of other Trekkies at the Red Shirts and Runabouts group on Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash red shirts and runabouts. Please join us. We talk about uh, tons of Trek stuff. Every show we talk about collectibles, toys, whatever. So come, come talk Trek. Absolutely. It's a good friendly environment. So just join us, stick around. And if you want, you can track me down on Twitter at the underscore bittersteel. And if you're looking for more from Red Shirts and Runabouts, you can Google us, just Red Shirts and Runabouts. You can go to our website at heroespodcast.com. The nice thing is we're expanding on basically all of the podcast platforms, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Uh, Use that Google function or your favorite browser and just search our name. Track us down on Facebook, that Red Shirts and Runabouts discussion page we've got. It's uh, very interactive. Otherwise, 
I'm glad you could all stick around and join us again, and we will be talking to you next week when we start looking into Season 5 of Next Generation, The Best of Picard. Picard.